I have enjoyed worshiping with you this week. Singing with you has been a joy. And uh, thinking about songs that we sang tonight, We Are One. You may know that Brother Matt Bassford wrote that song. And if you've been following Matt's health decline on Facebook, you know that he passed from this life just within the last day or two. Uh, and while we rejoice with him that he has gained his reward, we sure will miss his hymns. He served us well with those songs that he wrote. I have to share this funny story with you about Carrie. Uh, we had supper with he and Sylvia last night, and you, you may not have known this, but yesterday was my birthday. And um, my age doesn't matter, but Harding thought I was 72. So I, I felt really humbled after, after he guessed 72. Uh, half of that, 36, is, is what I turned yesterday. And this is the funniest thing. Uh, I got the best dessert after supper last night. Um, Sylvia came out with, with a deviled egg. <laughs> Candles. I mean, it, it was perfect. And, uh, of course, we just erupted with laughter. And if you're visiting tonight, that's not funny to you uh, because you don't know. That comes from a comment that I made earlier in the week, but uh, that was wonderful. I'm going to save my comments until the end. Uh, after the invitation song, I hope that that's okay. I want to get right into the lesson tonight. And you all have done so well to be here night after night, especially those of you with small children. And you've been listening to me go until nearly 8 o'clock, if not 8 o'clock every night. And so I'm going to try to give you some time back uh, as best I can. Open your Bible, if you would, to Nehemiah chapter 3. Nehemiah chapter 3. We're going to be spending most all of our time tonight in this chapter. And when you get there, I'd like for you to just take a moment and glance quickly at the chapter. I don't want you to read it. I just want you to quickly survey it, peruse it, and make an observation of what you see when you look at Nehemiah chapter 3. In times past, when I've preached this lesson, I have read the entire chapter, but for time purposes tonight, I'm not going to do that. So take a moment, scan through it, and just observe what do you see as you quickly glance at that chapter. Now... Our lesson tonight is titled, Working Together. And as the songs that we have sung together have indicated, uh, we are talking tonight about the work that we do as God's people, the work that we do in the Lord's service as a church and as individuals as well. The work that we do on this earth as Christians is the most important thing that you and I can ever be engaged in. It's more important than our career, it's more important than our hobbies and our activities and any other interests that we may have. The work of God, the work that he calls us as his people to do, it is the most important work on this earth. And that is because it is the only work that you and I will do on this earth that has ramifications for the next life. The things that we do in this life have great consequence in the next life. But we cannot do God's work alone. 
I cannot accomplish the things that God wants me to accomplish without you. I need your help. I need your encouragement. I need you to push and provoke me to love and good works, as the Hebrew writer said. You need me to help you in your work. And so tonight, we are talking about working together. Working together, helping, supporting, encouraging one another in the work that God needs us to do as his people. And Nehemiah chapter 3 is a great place to go to see an example of what we're talking about. Just a little bit of background and what's going on when we come to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is serving a Persian king in a distant land. He's in the city of Susa. And he receives word that the city of Jerusalem has been destroyed long ago, but the city is still in ruins. And Nehemiah takes this to heart, and then he takes it upon himself to lead a group of captives back to Jerusalem in order to rebuild the city. And the book of Nehemiah specifically focuses on the walls of the city of Jerusalem. And Nehemiah is going to lead the charge in that effort to rebuild. And in chapter 3, you have all of these Jews who have come back to the city of Jerusalem coming together, working together in this effort to rebuild the walls of the city. I want to suggest to you, as we think about this chapter tonight, that there are parallels between what they were doing back then in Jerusalem, many centuries ago, building stone masonry walls. There are parallels between the work that they did long ago and the work that we are doing today as we seek to build spiritual Jerusalem. As we seek as Peter spoke of in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, when he spoke about the church and he said that you are living stones that are being built into a spiritual house. This house, this temple of God that is comprised of individual spiritual stones is a temple that is ever increasing in its size. We are to be busy with the work of building the house of God today and so I think there's much that we can learn from this chapter. Let's start off by talking about a few words that are used here in Nehemiah chapter 3. As these Jews have come together to rebuild the walls of the city, there are three different words that are used in this chapter to describe the work that they are doing. So look with me in chapter 3 and verse 1. Eliashib the high priest arose with his brothers the priests and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and hung its doors. It says that they built the sheep gate. In verse 2, next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zachar, the son of Imri, built. You're going to see that word numerous times in Nehemiah chapter 3. This seems to indicate new construction on sections of the wall that had been destroyed. There was nothing left, leveled to the ground, started over again. These people are building new sections of the wall because the old sections had been destroyed. Now, set that in contrast to the second word that's used. Look at verse 4. Next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, made repairs. Made repairs. That, that's different, isn't it? That's not new construction. That's taking a section of the wall of the city that 
It's been beaten up. It's, it's been knocked, knocked down a little bit, but, but there's still some there that we can, that we can repair. We, we can fix this. You see that again in verse 5. It says, moreover, next to him, the Tekoites made repairs. So these are sections of the wall that, that are still existing, but they need to be built up again. They need to be reinforced. And then drop down to verse 8. It says at the end of verse 8 that there were some who restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Restoration. Bringing back into the boundary of the city portions that had once been lost. Restoration of what used to be there. Just think about those three words as we think about the work that we do in the church today. There are some people who are new construction. They are new converts who are being brought to Christ. They are being added to the church as they are being saved. New construction in people's lives. There are others who are already Christians who who are not new construction, but they simply need some repairs. They need reinforcing. They need fortification. The biblical word for that is edification, building up. That's what we're here doing tonight. And then there are those who once were Christians, who've turned away from the Lord, who need to be brought back into the fold. They need to be restored, just like the portions of that wall in Jerusalem. Now, let's think about some of the people that are involved in God's work. I asked you a moment ago to open to Nehemiah chapter 3 and just scan through the chapter. What did you see? Well, Nehemiah chapter 3 is a long list of Hebrew names, a long list of names. And because it is mostly just Hebrew names, we oftentimes skip over chapters like this. This is one of those flyover chapters, right? This is Arkansas of the Bible, okay? I've been corrected on that recently. Some said, hey, Arkansas is not all that bad. You should go. And we will. We will. This is the flyover territory of the Bible in the minds of most people. We come to chapters like this, chapters like Genesis chapter 5, uh, chapters like the first few chapters of First Chronicles, and it's just name after name. You know those chapters, right? So-and-so begot so-and-so who begot so-and-so, and we say, okay, I'm going to turn on the, the app on my phone and listen to the man read these chapters while I just slowly drift off to sleep. Beloved, we make a mistake when we treat these chapters that way. You see, the Holy Spirit hides things in chapters like this. There are little things in these chapters that if we notice them, they will jump out to us. We will learn valuable lessons from these. But I'll offer this as something that's not our focus tonight. It is just a bunch of Hebrew names. And so if we have any ladies who are expecting and you can't make a decision on a name... There's some good choices right here, really good choices. We'll see some of those tonight. I'll try to call them out as we go through, okay? Try to help you out a little bit. So let's talk about some lessons from Nehemiah chapter 3. Here's the first one. Nehemiah 3 teaches us that God's work requires everyone available. The work that God needs his church to do on earth is an all-hands-on-deck kind of a work. And you see that in Nehemiah chapter 3. 
I want you to notice as we look at some of the verses in this chapter, the types of people who are helping build a wall, okay? So let's start with chapter three. We've already read this verse, but look again at verse one. Then Eliashib the high priest arose with his brothers, the priests. The religious workers of the nation, the high priest, the priests, they are getting in there, getting their hands dirty, and they are building a wall. Look at verse five. Moreover, next to him, the Tekoites made repairs. Men from Tekoa. Now, Tekoa is a city about 12 miles outside of Jerusalem. This is not even their city. And yet they are in Jerusalem helping build the wall. Look at verse 8. Next to him, Uziel, the son of Harhiah. There's some good names. Uziel, the son of Harhiah of the goldsmiths, made repairs. Goldsmiths. Uh, maybe we see that one, right? Uh, you might think about a blacksmith helping out building the walls. Maybe, maybe there's some door hinges or some kind of metal work that needs to be done. You could see a blacksmith or a silversmith or a goldsmith helping out with this kind of a work perhaps. But then if you keep reading in verse 8, next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers made repairs. One of the perfumers. This is the man who works with incense. This is the guy who, when you go into the shopping mall, which I know that there's like almost none of those anymore, but do you remember when you used to go into the department store at the shopping mall, maybe you went into Macy's and you went into the perfume section, right? And your nose just went nuts and you started sneezing all the time? That's who this is. This is the guy who works with incense and he's out there building the wall. Look at verse 12 of chapter three. Next to him, Shalom, the son of Halohesh, the official of half the district of Jerusalem made repairs. He and his daughters. There are women who are out there working to build this wall. Godly women have always been crucial to the work that God needs to be done among his people. Drop down to the end of the chapter, the very last verse. Between the upper room of the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths, we've seen them already, the goldsmiths and the merchants carried out repairs. The business people, the merchants are out there helping build the wall. What do you notice about all of these names that we've looked at? None of them are brick masons. Where does it say that Nehemiah only wanted help from stonemasons? He only sought help from bricklayers. No, there, there's nothing like that in the chapter. Nehemiah recognized our situation is desperate. If you can help, come help. You can mix the mortar. The sand is over there. The water is over there. Start mixing it together. If you can wield a hammer and a chisel, come do it. We'll teach you how. This is an all-hands-on-deck situation. How did all of these people from such a diversity of backgrounds come together to work like this? The work that needed to be done was an important work, and everyone believed it. 
everyone believed that this work must be done. The closest thing that I can think of as an illustration to help us as Americans think about what's happening in Nehemiah chapter 3. Obviously, I didn't live through this, but I have been taught in school and I've read about what this nation did during World War II. How companies and manufacturing plants stopped producing whatever it was that they normally produced and everybody got completely behind the war effort. People from all over this country, no matter what their background was, no matter what it was that they did for a living from day to day, they got behind the war effort. How do you get an entire nation of people to support a cause like that? Everybody has to believe in it. So what about the work in the church? Let's look at a passage, Romans chapter 12. Uh, We sang tonight some words that come from this very text. Romans chapter 12. And we're going to begin at verse 4. Romans 12 and verse 4. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. If service, in his serving. Or he who teaches, in his teaching. Or he who exhorts, in his exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. It takes all kinds to do the work that the church needs to do. Every person has a role to play. Every person has a function to fill. God's work requires everyone. Now, here's a second lesson that we learned from Nehemiah chapter 3, and that is that every single name is important to God. Every name is important to God. It is important that we remember that God knows my name. He knows your name. Isn't it special when you see someone after a long absence, maybe you've only met them once before, and you see them months or or maybe even a year or two later, and they still know your name. Doesn't that impress you? I really hope you don't expect that from me. I I do not have that gift. But I think sometimes we feel like we're just a number. We are reduced down to our social security number, or we are reduced down to our account number. We've all had this experience, if you have bills to pay at least. You pick up the phone and you call your cable provider, and after you know going through the machine and you punch the numbers and you haven't talked to a human being yet, and you've been through on the phone for, for eight, nine, ten minutes, then you finally get to a human being, you know, like a real person, And they answer the phone, and the first thing they say is not, hello, how are you today? How may I serve you? The first thing they say is, account number, please. You've had that, right? See, you're just a number to them. 
They're this huge multinational corporation and they serve millions of customers and you're just a number. God gives us chapters like this to show us how important each person is in his work. There are 38 names in this chapter. You can double check me on that. You can go back and count. Some of them are repeated. I only counted them once. There are 38 different names in this chapter. And there are people in this chapter who are important people. In fact, let's go back to Nehemiah chapter three. Let me show you some of those important people. Nehemiah chapter three, look with me at verse nine. Nehemiah three and verse nine. Next to them, Rephiah, there you go, mom, the son of her, the official of half the district of, an official, a city official. He's an important person, right? He matters, probably more so than anybody else who's listed here. In verse 12, next to him, Shalom, the son of Halohesh, the official. There's another one. You see another one in verse 16. Now, good on these officials for being out there and working. But you know who else is mentioned here? Look at verse 14. Malchijah, the son of Rechab, the official of the district of beth Hakarim, repaired the refuse gate. Does your Bible say something different? The dung gate. What do you think happens there? Huh? You know how you work at the dung gate? Like this. Annotation department. And yet God mentions him. He is important. You don't think your garbage man is important? What would you do if he stopped coming by your house every week to pick up your garbage? Yeah, he becomes pretty important, doesn't he? We like having the sanitation department around. It takes all kinds of people, point number one. And when those people come out to work, God calls their names. He wants us to know that he knows our names. Jesus said, the very hairs of your head are numbered. Some of you, Jesus doesn't have to count very high. He's counting a lot less for me than he used to, not all that long ago. My forehead did not used to be this big. God knows your name. You are not just a number. When you stand before the Lord in judgment, he will not say, well done, good and faithful account number 6,492,371. Every name matters to God. Well, if God knows our names, then surely he also knows the work that we're doing or not doing. God knows who his workers are. 
and he acknowledges their efforts. This chapter, as we've already seen, is filled with names of people who came out and worked on this wall. But there are some in this chapter who are highlighted, it seems. Look at chapter 3 and verse 20. After him, Baruch, the son of Zabbai, zealously repaired. He's given this adverb for how he worked. He zealously repaired. Others, it says, well, he made repairs. But this one, zealously made repairs. Then notice, it says right after that, he zealously repaired another section. He was given an assignment. This is your section, Baruch. And he did it. And he did it zealously. But when he was done, he must have gone to Nehemiah and said, now where can I go? Give me another job. Send me somewhere else. He zealously repaired another section. Verse 27, after them, the Tekoites, you remember them? Verse 5, 12 miles outside of Jerusalem, not even their city. After them, the Tekoites repaired another section in front of the great projecting tower. Verse 24, after him, Benui, the son of Hinnadad, repaired another section. God mentions not just these people's names, but he mentions their work ethic, and he mentions the fact that they went the extra mile. And I want to tell you, elders love people like that. The elders ask for workers to help the church fulfill all of its needed tasks, and, and people volunteer, and they, they sign up, and that's wonderful. And the elders love it when people come back and say, okay, what else can I do? Give me another job. Give me another person to go visit. Give me another person to go and study with. God knows his workers, but this chapter also teaches us that God knows his shirkers. Look at verse 5 again. Moreover, next to him, the Tekoites made repairs, but their nobles did not support the work of their masters. There were some who did not approve of what the Tekoites were doing. They refused to help. They refused to contribute because they didn't like what was being done. And God wrote down these names for all people to see. Now, here's a sobering thought for us to ponder. What does God see in me? All of these people whose names are written down in this book. Whatever it is that is said of them in this chapter has been there for 2,500 years now. <laughs> People for 25 centuries 
can pick up this book, read it, and know what God's assessment of these individuals is. Think about that. If someone were to pick up a book written by God that had your name in it, that had my name in it, and it was a book all about the work that we did or didn't do in the Lord's service, what would that book say about you and me? Here's a fourth and a final point that I want you to think about from this chapter. And that is that effective leadership is critical in order for God's work to be done. All of these people in chapter three, they come together and they support this work. As I've said already, because they believed in it. They believed in the cause. They saw the purpose. But how did they come to believe in the cause? And the answer is Nehemiah. Go back to chapter two. Chapter two, Nehemiah comes to Jerusalem and in verse 12, he talks about how he gets up during the night while people are sleeping and he, he goes and investigates the situation in the city. He, he's making an assessment of what he finds there in Jerusalem. And after he does that, then drop down to verse 17, he says to the people, you see the bad situation we are in, that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates are burned by fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me and also about the king's words which he had spoken to me. Then they said to me, let us arise and build. So they put their hands to the good work. Nehemiah raises their awareness. He tells them about their situation. He tells them what needs to happen and the people get behind him. He rallies the troops and they come together and they work together. We talk about the book of Nehemiah, we often talk about leadership, as we should. There is so much in this book about the leadership of Nehemiah and the leaders of every church would do well to learn from this godly man. Let me close with, with these thoughts. This week has, has been great. I, I've been so impressed with what I have seen in you. And I, I, I don't know all the history of this church. I know a small part of it, but I know that, that the work of this church began long ago. And Lord willing, it will continue for many years to come. There's a lot of good work that's been done in the past. And I am sure that a lot of that good work has been done by some of the very people that I am looking at tonight. But there is still more work to be done in the future. I've been really impressed with what I've seen this week. So tonight is a rally the troops kind of a lesson. 
I want to encourage you to keep on keeping on. Keep doing the good work that it is apparent to me that you're doing. Well, tonight there may be someone here who's not a Christian. By becoming a Christian, you can be a contributor to this great work. We need you. As we said tonight, it is an all-hands-on-deck situation. You have something to contribute. So if we can help you tonight by becoming a child of God, or maybe you're that restoration project and you need to come back to the Lord, if we can help you tonight, we invite you. Please come as we stand and sing together.